Hello and welcome to the Chasing Faith podcast. This is going to become a place for us to discuss issues of faith in a way that leads us towards a more authentic, open, honest, and generous expression of what we truly believe. I'm Brandon Batson. I'm the producer of this podcast and the Communications and Connections Director here at Christ Church in New York City. I'm here with your host, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Bauman, the Senior Minister here at Christ Church. Our guest on the podcast today is Reverend Sarah Heath. Sarah is the pastor of First United Methodist of Costa Mesa, California, and is also an author, actress, dancer, designer, and podcaster. She attended Duke University, where she received her Master of Divinity in 2005. You can find out more about Sarah and all of her endeavors at RevSarahHeath.com. Welcome, Reverend Sarah Heath, to the podcast. I am really excited about having this conversation with Reverend Sarah Heath from First United of Costa Mesa, California. Um, I'm excited because uh, she's known well to Brandon, and um, Brandon has spoken so highly of you, Sarah, and uh, and you've had a dynamic ministry, and I've been learning a little about you, and I'm intrigued by how you came to be, and uh, how did you wind up doing this gig? And uh, I'd love to hear your story, if you don't mind. Uh, how did you track track for me the the journey sure. your faith your faith journey and yeah and again welcome welcome to this podcast thanks it's fun to be with you guys it's fun to uh, have a chance to talk to my East Coasters um, I actually was born in Canada um, born in Newfoundland which is not something a lot of people can say um, and then raised in Northern Ontario um, and I think that's part of my faith journey because I grew up with a mom who um, was Catholic and a dad who was United Church of Canada. But um, within uh, Canadian culture, faith isn't necessarily an assumed, right? Um, it's very much like, oh, it's, that's your private thing. <laughs> Basically, that's the Canadian <laughs> attitude about everything. Like, oh, that's a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> so I, I but I want to tell you about Jesus. No, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, that would be like, that's a lot. My dad calls America the excited states of America. He's like, everyone is always wanting to tell you everything, and everyone's excited. Um, but we moved when I was fourteen from a tiny town where there was one youth group. And all I was, because I'm growing up with my mom and dad who decided to let faith be our decision when I was 13, I got confirmed in the United Church of Canada. Um, and it really was, I had a fantastic female pastor, so I didn't realize that that was weird. I had an amazing uh, female pastor and she said for our confirmation, she brought all of us into our office individually and said, look, from this point forward, faith is now your own. It is your decision. And if your parents decide that they want to force you to come to church, then I will have a conversation with them because it is your faith. And nothing was mine at 13 or 14, right? Like no, nothing in my life was like, you know, you really don't have a lot of decision. Like I've decided I am not going to finish elementary school. You know, you can't or junior high, um, but to have a decision in something. And so I took my confirmation class really seriously. Um, and it was the first time I'd considered, well, do I believe this thing or where is this coming from? And I'd been really involved in a summer camp. Um, and I, I realized I kind of had the ability to help others understand the story, which was a weird thing for me to realize. And I also knew that I asked a lot of questions. Um, and that was something that was 
honored and appreciated in my community. And so as a kid, I sort of just sort of took hold of my faith at that point. But it again, the soup that I was in, the, the theological soup I was in, it was very ecumenical because in Canada, there's like not as many um, Christians. And so then I made the move that most people move, make. We moved to Mississippi. So from <laughs> Northern Ontario, just like a straight shot. So many people move from Northern Ontario how, to Mississippi. How did that happen? <laughs> Great question. Um, we ask it daily. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my, my dad is a physician and his passion is serving uh, rural situations. So he is a doctor who is a general practitioner who also has degrees in anesthesiology and obstetrics. So he really is that doctor that loves doing rural medicine, which is hysterical because yeah. he's a city boy. He's from Toronto. Um, <laughs> but he just had a passion for that. And we were being recruited heavily um, yeah. by American practices. And at the time, it just made sense uh, for us to check it out. I thought um, I was moving at the... <laughs> This is such an embarrassing part of my story, but I think it's funny how God works. I was like, I'm moving to America. And the only thing I knew about America was the show Saved by the Bell. Um, and <laughs> That's making a, a comeback, isn't it? It isn't is. It? In yes, fact, the weirdest, the weirdest part of my life is I actually know Tiffany Thiessen, who played <laughs> one of the characters. And I told her, I was like, I need you to know that I moved to America thinking I was becoming Kelly Kapowski. Um, so dated the high school, you know, team captain of the football team. I did all the things that I thought were super American. And one of those things that you do if you're going to be super American is you become an evangelical Christian. So I <laughs> moved to Mississippi <laughs> where the first question so many people ask you is what church do you to? And we became United Methodist because for my family, it was very important that we belong to a community where women were um, held at an equal level and that that had been part of the makeup as well as um, we just came from a little bit more open of a theology than Southern Baptist in Mississippi would have fit. So uh, it became one of these things where when I was in high school, I got really involved in a youth group um, and I just tried to live to be a really good Christian, right? Um, and, you know, I had the t-shirts. Um, I was part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, I would go back home to Canada every summer and I worked at a Christian summer camp. Um, and I think in a weird way, it was like the first time I saw that I could lead something and help people. And I've always had very diverse loves. I started acting at five and I love it. I started playing sports when I was little. I love playing music. I just, it was the only church was the only place I felt like all these weird things collided and made sense and were, were accepted and utilized and all that sort of stuff. So I never wanted to be a pastor. Like I didn't even, that wasn't on my, not because I'm a woman, not because of any of that, but just because I was like, that doesn't look that fun. And I um, was also unsure kind of what I wanted to do with my life. So when I was in college, I was part of a sorority. Um, I played sports and I was a biology major because my fallback was that I was going to be a doctor. If I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with my life, either I was going to be a <laughs> actor or a doctor you see how close those things right, go together right, so i'm a right. pastor if it makes sense um and yeah the faith story really there was i started working with a youth group as an intern and um it eventually turned into a paid position and i was you know i'd switched my major i think four times um unsure what i wanted to do but 
you know, when you, when you do pretty well at things, it's really difficult to say, I can't do certain things. I take in a aptitude test and the lady called me in and she said to me, it's like my favorite story to tell. Cause it's like the worst, it was the most aggressively specific and terrible advice that I'd ever gotten. I came in from the aptitude test. And I thought this is the moment someone's going to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And she said, well, we've never seen this before. You scored equal across the board and you could do whatever. But what I heard is you can do nothing. Like nothing's going to make you happy. Uh, and then she said, which, right? Uh, she said, you know, you're really great at design and you're also really good at biology. So maybe you could, and I had all my hours to be a vet. So what kind of doctor? I, I wanted to be an animal vet. And so she said, maybe you could be the designer of the interior of vet clinics which is like a very niche market guys very, and and i cannot take my dog to the vet without being like this is terrible actually like somebody should do something about it but i missed my she was right she she was right you did have a you had a thing for it yeah yeah uh but in the midst of all of that i was on a beach retreat uh with the the kids that i was serving and i i realized i had all these passions and i was you know whatever but i would I was spending all of my free time with these teenagers and I was loving that. And one of the kids, Davis, there was a kind of this prayer time and Davis said to me, we're on a beach retreat and, and I feel, find God often talks to me um, in or around the ocean. Um, and he, uh, Davis said to me, Sarah, you know, it's interesting. You have all these different passions and that's why all of us feel comfortable talking to you about God. So he was a musician and he's like, you get like the music kids, but you also get the athletes because you played sports all through high school, but you get like the craft girls. And at the time I had struggled um, a little bit with an eating disorder. And so you can talk to the girls who have had eating disorders in their past and you were pretty popular when you're in high school. So the popular kids get you, but you also really love band geeks. Like it was just all these things that I thought meant that I connected to no one because I had too many broad, right? Uh, American culture is very like, you have to have a very niche, you know, have one thing and do it super well. Um, for him to say, I think it's easy for all of us to talk to you about God because all of us can relate to you in some way. And it was like, a, a, it was the first time I thought, oh, so I went and talked to my campus minister. And so at the time I'd been attending two campus ministries. I was attending the Wesley Foundation, which is the Methodist one. And the um, Baptist one, and Brandon will get a kick out of this. I was going to the Baptist one because they had the hotter worship leaders. And I felt like... Every time. Every time. So, <laughs> and it was like during the V-neck phase, you know what I mean? Where you're just getting jet, like just the guys were wearing. I mean, and that was, you know, the scarves. And anyway, it was a, a, a weird time for all of us. Where, what um, school was this? The University of Southern Mississippi. Okay. Was undergrad. So I went to my campus minister and the Wesley Foundation. I said, I think I'm being called into ministry. And she said, yes. And the rest of us have known, but nobody wanted to tell you. <laughs> we wanted you to figure it out on your own. And I was like, okay. Uh, but it was so affirming. Like, yes, yeah, Sarah, like your unique passions, your unique drives. It makes sense in this environment. And you can speak to people like your sorority sisters talk to you about God. But so to like, you know. Um, and then I went over to the Baptist Student Union where I served as um, a, a leadership team person. And um, the two guys looked at me like I had four heads and they were like, uh, and they never spoke to me again um, because it was uncomfortable. 
that I was a woman going into ministry. But I didn't, I was Canadian. So I was like, I don't know what's happening here. Um, And it was very difficult. And when I got into seminary and I didn't know any, like God and I have such a weird thing. I applied to one seminary because I didn't know that I really wanted to go there. And so I I applied to Duke because at the time it was like, I knew a couple pastors that were from there and were really cool. But what at the time, were you there? What year was, were you there? 2002 through 2005. Oh, okay. Right? Yes. Uh, and so great time to be there. Great professors, but I knew nothing about any of it. I, I walked in very much like clueless, like legally blonde style. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Bible study. Uh, I had zero Greek knowledge. I didn't know who Stanley Howard was, was, who's this like famous theologian. Everyone else was afraid of him. I called him Stanley on the first day and he loved me since, you know, I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, and I actually, that should be the name of my memoir. I don't know what I'm doing here, but um, it's, it was such a gift. And so that I got in and that's kind of been, and my faith journey has been one where you know, it's funny, I've had profound moments of calling, but it's never been like, you read my journals from seminary, it's always like, yeah, I'll kind of like do this pastoring thing on the side of all my other stuff. And and I wanted to just be a campus minister. I was just like, yeah, I'm just gonna be like a campus and youth pastor. And then I went in to try to get my local pastor license. And they were like, can we just right now interview you to be ordained as an elder? And I was like, yeah, like I was so, and then I yeah. passed that, and that was great. And that's not always great in our conference. So, all that to say, I feel like God is sort of only reveals a little bit of what that journey is for me. So, that's how I ended up here, which is weird. I put in my application to be a youth and college pastor at UCI. I was going to live in California for three years, um, in which I would start auditioning for. TV shows. And I, I did some of that. Uh, I was in a movie while I was out here when I first got here. And then somehow I become the lead pastor of a church. <laughs> did you go to California for acting? Uh, I think in a weird way, I did. I, I don't know that I knew I was doing that. I just knew I, I didn't, I didn't think I could go back to Mississippi because it didn't feel like home in many ways. Um, and I had, I was an RA at Duke and many of my students were from California. They're like, you're the most Californian person who's never been to California. (laughs) Um, and so in a weird way, it felt like home. Um, but I was only going to be here for a little while and, um, I just needed an adventure and I was kind of trying to find my way. Um, so yeah. yeah. I don't want to leave this, uh, part of your story, uh, too soon before we say something about the whole gender issue, because our listeners might need a little clarity to know that. Oh, I'm a woman. (laughs) 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 A little little clarity that the Southern Baptist Church, you had mentioned the Baptists and they don't ordain women. And they have a very um, boxed gendered uh, idea of, how God functions in the world and how people are supposed to conform to those boxes. Yeah. And uh, even in most of those environments, you're not even allowed to teach men who are right. older than you. That's right. That's right. Or, or men of a certain age after right. they reach like adulthood, you're no longer allowed to teach them. Right. So a woman, <laughs> a woman, let's say a woman grows up in the Baptist tradition Um, discovers that she has a call to ministry and is shunted sideways 
uh, and isn't allowed to pursue that in certain denominations. You know, Violet Lee on our staff is um, an American Baptist. So an American yes. Baptist, of course, do ordain women. Um, but even so, acceptance within churches can be tough with the gender um, it's been so interesting because coming out to California, I think a lot of people had the assumption that uh, it would be easier to be a female pastor here than it is anywhere else. And it's actually been the opposite. So in Mississippi, um, people at first were like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to do, but all right. Whereas here, there's um, it's really interesting that reformed church movement was very big here. So with like the Jesus people movement, like historically, if you look back, um, and I'm a super nerd, so I'm like always like looking these things up. Right, but, right. Um, when I got here, the resistance to what I, I mean, I've been at parties where um, guys from mega churches here have explained to me why I can't preach. And I'm like, cool, could you like tell my church that? Because they're still asking me to do it. So, um, <laughs> you know, or like, you're super drunk. Is this really when we're going to have a moral conversation? Also, you were just hitting on me. So I don't know why we're having this argument, <laughs> you know? And, also, like, talk to God about it. Like, I don't know why you're bringing it up to me. Um, but it has been really interesting how um, culturally it's still, you know, you'd think, like, it's 2021. How are we still having this conversation? And I think it will get to kind of our main conversation, yes. the um, societal um, movement, mm -hmm. and then how the church has responded um, has been uh, very fascinating, both as someone who feels like they're a part of it, but also an outside observer as someone who comes from a different culture and community, but also is, I've lived here long enough that I feel like I am part of this. Um, yeah, it's an yeah. interesting dynamic. Yeah, it's still a problem. Mm. And a, like my being is a problem to a lot of people. And yeah. that's the weirdest thing is to like walk in a room and know that immediately just by who I am and what my title is, people are like deciding how they feel about it. Well, interestingly enough, <clears throat> in New York, um, I discovered that being a an ordained Christian minister was like uh, I don't know, like a, being a a cyclops, and you know, <laughs> they didn't. So many people don't have in 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 a really secular culture, they just mm -hmm. don't know what to make of an of, of an ordained person. You know what? Kind yeah. Of, what kind of creature is that? What do you do? What is that about? You know that those kinds of questions. Exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. But maybe I think that probably the culture that you're in is very similar to the culture I grew up in, which is there's not it's it's not so I think particularly here and in the South, so Southern California and in the South, um, there's been this narrative taught in evangelical communities as well as a, a lot of other communities that as if the culture is against, and I would say they're not, they're apathetic. Yes, no one is like, oh, <clears throat> they're all like, except for what's been happening that is atrocious uh, with underneath the guise right. of Christianity in the last couple of years. Right. I think people in general are just like, like you do you boo, but I like, don't want to hear about it, but like, good luck. Um, and so I think that Cyclops or unicorn experience is, it's a little more, um, apathetic I think then like we've been taught and I know Brandon even in the community you were here in California it's like um it's as if the world is um against when the world doesn't care right yeah right yeah I would say right. it's indifference and curiosity not um 
not exactly negativity, but there there is a kind of dismissive quality to it. Yeah, as though like, as it's though, like you just said, I believe in the Easter Bunny. Right. It's like you're doing. You've spent out your professional life on something really inconsequential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there, there's that quality to it. Mm-hmm. And just to, just to remind our listeners, you you came to know Brandon when he was working out in California. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, yeah. Brandon, we met. It was like, it was the most like insane time. I actually was at a conference with a friend, a mutual friend of ours. And I was kind of in this place of about to leave ministry in some ways about to just leave Christianity altogether because it just, none of it made sense to me anymore. And it hadn't made sense to me for years and years and years. And Sarah was just a safe place to land at that point. Uh, you know, uh, a, a Christian who felt about most things the same way that I did. And I was like, all mm-hmm. these people exist in the world still. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're still connected to faith in some way. Um, and then that was just like an instant connection. And then we just became fast friends and we live like yeah. two hours away from each other. So I would always mm-hmm. retreat down there to hang out. Right. And, uh, and his wife is so great. Job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was so good just to like, you know how you just know when you meet someone, you're like, oh, yes. this is a friend. This isn't, yes. Yes. as a pastor, we so rarely have real friends. Yeah. We have either oh, no. projects, yeah. we have projects that we're working on, or we have, um, you know, we don't even know that we're doing that necessarily. Well, that's true. I usually avoid clergy. <laughs> you know, I can't. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I have some close clergy friends, but they're not. But they're few and far between. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you've used the word evangelical in your history. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself evangelical? Oh, no. Mm-mm. No. Okay. Um, I think, again, the reason I talk about that soup is that I came from a very, I hate to use the word secular, but it is the right word, right? A very secular culture and community. And that's not a judgment. That's like what I came from. Right. Um, then I moved into one that I think the community would consider themselves evangelical. Right. Um, and it is an absolute concern for the salvation of people constantly. So when I say evangelical, mm-hmm. I, I, my favorite story of being United Methodist here in California is I, when I was a youth pastor, one of the first weeks I was like, all right, guys, we're going to talk about words that like have a meaning. And they mean, again, you're coming out of seminary and you think kids care about this. They do not. They're like, right. can we play another game? But like on the board, I'm like, what do you guys think of when I say the word evangelism? And they're like, uh, because Methodists in California never heard the word evangelism. I was like, well, I guess I don't have to think of that one. Um, But it is like, it's a big thing here. Like we've got to save people. Um, And so I think it, it affects how I have experienced the world. It helps. I feel like I'm lucky in that I've, existed with feet in so many different camps that I I feel like there's an empathy that I can like, oh man, it must really be hard to every morning wake up and think every encounter you have could potentially save someone or send them to hell, right? Um, or you could have a missed moment. Um, and I think that's so much anxiety. And so I, I feel a sense of like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh, gosh, that's a lot to carry. I'm thinking our listeners might be intrigued 
about this idea that in Southern California, you there is a there's a lot within the culture that is still highly evangelical Christian. I would I say I was, predominantly. I mean, yeah. way more than you think. <clears throat> right. I and mean, I it's interesting. It's still, I would say it's new. Yeah, I would think say, it's newer. Oh, con- let me tell you about one of my favorite hobbies. Um, it's 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 a little bit of a cynical one, but I love seeing the videos of pastors who feel like God is calling them the, to the darkest place of the United States, which is Southern California, to plant a church. Well, I see no less New York City New York. that way too. Yeah, New York right. City. The darkest. Oh, guys, we're in the darkest place. Um, yeah, yes. But uh, <laughs> the video is usually. Uh, a guy in Idaho who has very complicated genes and um, big, <laughs> am I wrong? Um, really interesting eyeglasses, right? Like his eyeglasses are like, does he need them? Does he not need them? Right. We're not sure. His wife is super hot, right? but, uh, and that's how he refers to her. Uh, right. But the two of them have been praying together with their four children about how they're going to come to the darkest place and do ministry. And you want to be like, right. bro, you just want a suntan. Like tell the <laughs> truth. Right? And so right. there are- Darkest places just happen to be the most interesting and uh, yeah. best places to live on the planet. Well, that's right. where all the sin happens. Right. All the <laughs> sin. <clears throat> fun. And so like a church gets planted here every five minutes. Um, and that's not an actual statistic. I, I don't know. I understand. I, understand. Um, I mean, I get it. I feel like, uh, yes, it's sunny right now outside of my window, you know? Um, but I, I think that that is culturally influencing people constantly. Um, Hillsong sent yeah. a bunch of Australians who funnily enough don't want to go home. So they're here um, doing incredible work uh, in and it's it's also a creative capital, which I think both of us are in like creative environments, right? Yes. yes um, yeah. And so it breeds uh, really creative expressions that people are really into. But the ones that do it well, and I can, you know, I, you and I can talk about United Methodist, Stephen, as um, like it's our weird aunt right. that we can talk bad about. But if anyone else talks about, we're like, leave aunt United <laughs> right, Methodist right. out of this. Right, um, right. Our brand is weird. Our brand is awkward and their brand is super sexy until you get in it and then you're like, what is this? Right. And a lot of it <laughs> is cloak and dagger. A lot of it is yeah, right. like, Absolutely. come on in for the sexy this, but oh, by the way, like women should submit to their husbands. And right. Um, right. also you need to pay all this money for these guys to come here from Idaho. Like, right. I don't know, like the last one I saw was from Idaho guy. No, <laughs> like right. literally no, with 100%, drones flying 100%. over the beach and they're like, you may think this is a beautiful place, but Vision Church is going to plant here knowing that this is the darkest place. And I was like, right. Right. <laughs> it's so beautiful video. I was part of a church plant in California from South Carolina. Right. Y'all did it. <laughs> we did <laughs> it. Right. Well, you and, and you know you felt called. You were going right. to save. You're going to save right. those heathens, right? Exactly. <clears throat> you made a poor choice. I'm sorry that God called, called you that to that particular area of California. It was Sarah, not you, perhaps the nicest. You know what happened to Hillsong East Coast, don't you? Hmm, you heard, no, you not heard. really. 
What's his name, Brandon? I forget. Blank. Oh, no, the real good looking one. Yeah, yeah. Carl. Yeah. yeah. Carl yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh, bless. I So my friend, uh, yeah, my friend sent me uh, just this photo and I was like, oh, wow. Uh, and I, look, I am not about body shame. I'm about wear what you feel like wearing. Right. But when I can, if you were to go missing, draw your entire body for the police, <laughs> and I am not someone who is in your immediate family, you might be sharing a bit too much. And my Lord, he was like, but to me, you know what it says? It says, help me. And and I don't mean that in a um, negating his pain. To me, that looks like someone who needed to be affirmed. For, I don't know what his story is, but it seemed like he was a really talented person who who wanted wanted to do really good things and was forced into this thought, okay, I, I can oftentimes um, people who feel like they're mediocre and can't make it in the quote unquote real world come into the church and they experience some level of what we'll call fame. And then it becomes addictive. Um, yes, I'm a type three on the Enneagram and I always check myself on this, right? Like, um, is this for God or is this because I need to achieve? Um, mm. And I think with him, it was a never ending pit of, I need people to appreciate my body. I need people to, which is okay, but can we be honest about it instead of like, and I think the more and more we shame people, the more and more things get into a darker and darker corner. Um, well, and I, I actually yeah. think the whole model of ministry is flawed from the get-go because it's all performance art <clears throat> and and um, ego-driven. Um, there's something inherently wrong in the structure of those those kinds of religious expressions, I think, and formulations. But it's interesting because I think women. So you you mentioned. Yeah. The the weird blessing of having ovaries um, is uh, is that not only can we have children, but also <laughs> we aren't we don't have we have different expectations and they're awful and insidious. But there is not I don't have the experience of having a line of guys going like you know what I want a pastor. Yes, I'm going to like treat <laughs> like there is no guy out there going like I really want to be a pastor's spouse. That's not a thing. But within Christianity, because men in that thing, as you call it, is this insidious thing, mm -hmm. have been put up on this platform, they almost um, become Jesus. Yes. Um, yeah, and if you just, the alpha, like, you just need, the alpha yeah, male, you need, the, the you need beginning one and the daddy end. issue. You just need one oh, daddy yeah. issue. You're like yeah. one daddy issue away from thinking. And <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that's, it's so often... Yeah. you become that um, archetype. And I think this is if, and we're mortal and we can't handle it. And so, and we were never meant to be worshiped. We were, right. oh, we're horrible at it. Um, Witness our president. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's not go down that pike right now. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> yeah. um, talking but about yes. performance art though, that's how he, he was a performance artist. That's what he was or is. Mm -hmm. That's what he is. Um, one of the reasons Sarah, that we're having this conversation is that Brandon and I were talking about an article that I sent around to the staff that was reporting on the generational uh, 
statistics around church attendance and identification yeah. and affiliation. And this article uh, was saying that we all have known that millennials were, uh, for the time being, not going to church, that they were kind of leaving their religious identities at home, so to speak, as they went out into the world. And there was not a, uh, a lot of statistical knowledge about whether they were going to stay away. And this article was saying that we're now gaining traction in the statistics, and it appears as though yep. millennials are, in fact, staying away. Yep. And, and you and Brandon classify as millennial. And um, I thought it would be interesting to get a handle on that from your perspective or have some chat about that. Um, um, What do you think? What do you think is going on with that? And uh, I'll I'll, I'll leave it open-ended rather than getting specific because you probably have done a lot of thinking on this yourself. And how do you situate yourself or explain yourself in that statistical universe too? Yeah, sure. So um, a lot of the work that I do um, is with people who have spiritual trauma. So my church, uh, when I got there, there was predominantly older people. There were 16 in worship sometimes, sometimes 27 up to 27 um, in this beautiful building in downtown of this beach and art community. And it is a very millennial community. And the church did not reflect that. And our thing that we've grown in the most is um, millennial, uh, which, by the way, uh, I think it's important to say, um, and I, I've stood up in many a conference uh, within our denomination because they keep talking about, like, we got to get the millennial. We gotta, I was like, can we recognize that a millennial now has three children and a mortgage and we are not the um, college age student that you, you keep acting like right. this? And then the other problem is, um, I'm the youngest person in the room and I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years. Right. Let's talk, like, let's, let's stop saying the millennial as if it's a one thing. I think, um, millennial as an age bracket is a very, um, jelly like thing. Cause it really is, um, different. I think we've got to admit that. And I think yesterday, so yesterday was the, the attempted coup, we'll call it. Um, and so, what we're seeing is uh, there are coastal realities of what it means to be a millennial, you know, the coastal elite joke, but really coastal millennials look very different than your millennial from Oklahoma. And I would say not Oklahoma city perhaps, but Oklahoma at rural, I'm just using Oklahoma because I don't think any of us are from there. Um, But I think there is this reality that um, church got tied intentionally Um, There's some really interesting work being done looking at how um, Strom Thurmond tied good, good patriotism to good Christian intentionally hoping to help one um, party do better than the other. Um, And it was successful uh, where Brandon and I both know people that if you were to say someone could be a Christian and not be Republican, they would, their, their ears would turn red and they can't tell you why they cannot tell you why. Mm. And so when those things started getting married to faith and we, and we think that it's been married to faith for a very long time. It, it hasn't like, if you look at it, um, someone else doing great work in this is Frank Schaefer about sort of like the sixties and seventies and the intentional uh, one um, you know, people who are voting on one thing, right? If you vote for them, they're going to kill babies. Like if I can make people 
make that really easy connection, um, then they're going to. So you're, you're marrying um, Christianity to all of these things. And originally that worked really well, except when people started to really say, but do I actually, where am I in those things? And before there was the availability to say, I think over here, but like, here's where my spiritual life is. When all of this got merged together intentionally and language was used around like, again, the world where we've got to stay secular and sacred and as if they're different, um, then you're fighting against something and, and nothing breeds camaraderie like a shared enemy, right? So the shared enemy is outside. <clears throat> well, I think now you have a generation of people who were going, this doesn't make sense um, and cannot take it apart. So um, one of my favorite things about me on podcasts is I forget people can't see me. And I talk with my hands. So they get, they got very interwoven and then they're taken apart. Um, and I think when that happened, a lot of people said, do I need this thing? Add into that, that they were obligated for so long to be part of these communities if they grew up in a church thing. The other piece is, um, if you read a lot of these articles, they say, well, the belief used to be that you would leave church for a little while while you were using the model of like the uh, right. generations before, right. um, thinking of baby boomers. And then they would statistically come back. Right. So, well, that's right. been done before. So that will happen again. And uh, there isn't this, there's like almost this realization, like I can get um, spiritual depth elsewhere. I can feel connected. I don't feel obligated. And I think we've lost community and the understanding of what community is in a lot of spaces. And we found it in other places. We are a communal people. So I go to a coffee shop and I actually know everyone in there. And that's really important to me because I need to have connection. Um, and I think there, there's just so much to be said about when this split happened, when people started to question these things, and I think it's great and all that sort of stuff. When the church just held tighter, then you go, okay, well then that's one type of person and that's not me. So then I must be this type of person. When you create a black and white, then people choose one or the other and there's no nuance. There's no gray. And I think if anything, a millennial is a nuanced gray. What's really interesting is we're the most, um, our section when I studied, um, because I was super interested in it, uh, they give the most financially. They just don't give to churches. Uh, so one-to-one -one things like, so Tom's shoes, all that kind of stuff. They're willing to pay more money on things that they know will help other people. So they're very generous. We're very generous as a thing. We really care. We're actually the most spiritually curious. Um, however, do not for a minute marry it with all this other stuff. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of that going on. I think the truth is, is if we're not doing community well, people are just, people are over-programmed too. So Methodism is um, built to fail in this environment. When you say, you know, you have this thing that you carry around this, this phone that means you have to work 24 seven. And then can you please serve on this committee? Um, and also, you know, can you do all of these things to make sure the church runs? And our people are like, I can't do one more thing. And pastor, you keep talking about the value of downtime with my family and my community and my, you know, and so I think it's, all these things are happening all at once and we're in a bit of a soup of it. And we come from, particularly within our denomination, I think we have this like, this isn't working, so let's do it harder. 
you know, and <laughs> like, this isn't working. So let's buckle down. Um, it feels very much like people um, haven't been paying attention to the societal um, stuff that's happening around us and haven't reacted. And, and my favorite thing is people, uh, so you and I talked for a moment about general conference and this idea that um, the LGBTQIA inclusion, and I, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but nobody wants in our club anyway. So why are we making club rules when zero people are interested in joint? Like if, if I'm part of the LGBTQIA community, I just go, okay, like it's not that cool anyway. Like we're losing, my friend had a meme and I thought it was great. It's like this split Methodism is really just saying who will have good choirs and who will not. Because if you're going to like say no LGBTQIA, like good luck. <laughs> He's from the gay community. And I thought, nice, you know. Um, and I just think we have this weird idea that everybody wants in our club and they, and they don't. Um, and then also like, how can we get people to come to us, come to us? And I, I think the opportunity or the invitation in COVID, uh, in this time is that we've had to learn how to get out of the boat to fish instead of being like, we've got the coolest boat jump in, but you have to change before you get in the boat. No one fishes that way. Um, and so but learning that. Sarah, how do you explain yourself? That is, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? In other words, you're all, you know, you, you went all in on, <clears throat> on this agenda, uh, that is the church. And mm -hmm. um, how's your, what's your understanding of that, given the, the larger trend lines, which are, as you describe them, to leave and say, you know what, I don't know, think I need that. Um, I will say um, it has taken me till this year to figure out what, why. Um, and I realized it all kind of does tie back to that conversation with that pastor. He said, this is your thing. And I need a community where I can't choose who's in it. Because like I told you earlier, people now can decide who they want to be around. So from my CrossFit gym I go to, to my grocery store I shop at, I get to choose whether or not I realize I'm doing it to be around people that are like me. They're my socioeconomic because I'm shopping at Trader Joe's. They can afford my gym membership. So they're not going to be, you know, uh, they probably have my political beliefs because thanks to like Zuckerberg, all my friends are chosen. Um, and church is a place, strangely, where I have to be around people who don't think like me, which it used to be the opposite, right? We used to go to church to like, that's where people thought the same as us. Mm. I have a church community where we've worked really hard to have diversity of age, diversity of ethnicity, diversity of socioeconomic, diversity of LGBTQIA. I have at one point, I would look at my congregation and be like, you guys make zero sense except for the kingdom of God. And I can keep doing community in this way because it is the only opportunity that some of the people in that room have to be with people that are older than them. Because of where we live, all of us, we live in places that are very um, transient. And by that, I mean, most of uh, the people that we know in our congregations don't live near people that are the same ages, that are people from their family, right? So some of the only intergenerational experiences people are having are in our church pews. And I absolutely need someone who is older than me to tell me that 25 is not the goal for everyone. 
and then it gets better. And particularly, like I think of our, um, our, our young gay community within our church, um, our queer community now sees, uh, you know, queer folk who are older and are married and it's going well. They don't have that example. Um, I get to see people who, um, oh my gosh, you know, you don't vote the same way I vote and you're vilified like on Twitter. But when I'm sitting here with you in church, we know each other's names. I've been to your house for dinner. This is, this is not happening other places and spaces. It used to be church was the most segregated. And in a weird way, we have an opportunity for it to be diverse in a way that, you know, a lot of my folks work in industries where they're only around millennials or they're working from home, which means I get to decide who I encounter throughout my day. Right. And it's not the same as it used to be. Mm. And what about... <clears throat> I get what you're saying, and I, to some degree, we have a similar deal at Christ Church in our, our, a version of that, let's put it that way. It's a rather diverse congregation, um, which I like very much and always wanted to strive for over the, my years. Um, tell me, though, about the role of faith itself. You've told me about the, the quality yeah. of, the, of the people and how? Do, what about faith for? Um, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say millennials. It can be about anybody, yeah. really. But I'm going to say millennial. What about the faith factor? Well, that's it too, isn't it? Um, to to know that you have all these questions, and to know, I, I joke around, and I probably shouldn't say it, but whatever. Um, my bishop likes me. Uh, I think the quadrilateral <laughs> is this sexiest theology that's ever been. The idea <laughs> that you can have deep faith that requires us to also use reason and experience, tradition and scripture. Like faith is a way of connecting to something beyond ourselves. And if we're honest, we are programmed to believe, especially with social media, that the everything is about us and it's sick. And it's sick in a way, not like because people are becoming selfish, People are becoming disconnected from each other and from the divine because it, they're every, it's almost a, it's a burden to think that everything I do needs to meet a certain level of whatever. If I don't, if it's just me, if there's no divine, if there's nothing beyond me, if there's nothing for me to hope in, if I control everything, it's a, it's a narcissism that is, mm-hmm. it, I don't, it's sad. It's not, um, you know, people are like, oh, it's always the about me culture, right? But it's not that. It's it's sad because it, it doesn't give you hope. I, I don't, I need to be connected to God and to, you know, and it's great too, because we have all these amazing studies that are coming out of huge universities that are finding like meditation, the prayer practices that we've always had, our brains are designed to do that. Mm-hmm. So there, it's yeah. like, it's an easy thing of like, I'm sorry, you're spending how much money to go see a meditation coach? You could just come to church. It's free. <laughs> um, you know, people are longing for that connection with the divine. They might not name it as that. Um, and I think it's absolutely important to kind of put ourselves in perspective, right? Mm. Um, and, and to I mean, put that's each other. You always yeah. say, that's something that you always say, Steve. It's just the you've you've kind of preached this to the staff, you know, a little bit during COVID of like how important 
uh, physical proximity is to spiritual development and like how the loss mm-hmm. of that it, it feels you know strange but also awakens like the importance of being together and i think that that is just a perfect segue to what you said about like for lack of a better word like instagram culture where it's all about you it's about your likes and your friends and your things and your story and when we're in physical proximity with others seeking something higher something divine that fades to the background at least for an hour a week you know what i mean and i think that's an important thing that people hopefully will be looking for after this yeah well, i think is, you're yeah go ahead sorry i was going to say there is in the instagram culture you're also fabricating a story it's not just mm. that you're sharing your story you're fabricating a story and you're sure. presenting the story that's a fabrication and and by the way that's part of the problem with the with what I am calling the mega church uh, celebrity culture as well, because what what happens there is that there's a manufactured uh, presence that isn't, mm-hmm. it's disconnected from real life. Carl Lentz is a great example of that, how that happened to him as it, at Hillsong on the East Coast. Anyway. Oh, yeah, it's disembodied, right? So he yes. he's disembodied from the body, right? Correct, he, correct. Um, I have a wonderful, you should talk to her on this podcast at some point because she is fantastic. Lisa Yaboa, who is a United Methodist uh, clergy member, um, and she's amazing. Where is and she? she? She's in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I, why do I know that name? I think I know. Uh, anyway, that's not, I'll, uh, we'll talk fire. about it offline. <laughs> she's like a Lululemon fitness ambassador. She's about this big. She's amazing. Um she and I were talking about, um, it was under the conversation of like m- many women who are um, in ministry are single um, because there is that culture still of like a woman in lead is suspect. And does that make me less of a man? Does this make me mm-hmm. less of a, because we, I've been told that in, in different environments. And men and have so told she was, you that you make me feel less than a man. No, <laughs> no but culture has said, if your wife, yes. I mean, Brandon's experienced it because his wife is strong. Yes, and it's she is. amazing. And how Brandon talks about it is my wife is fear. Like, it's like almost like a, my <laughs> wife is fear, like some pride in there. That's but right. A lot of people, we've taught people that that emasculates them mm. instead of saying like, what is this masculation? What are you talking about? Right. The toxic right. masculinity hurts, not just the man and not just the woman. It hurts both. Um, yes, and I so I was you. talking to, talking to Lisa about this and she said something that I had never thought about. She said, honey, we've been put on a pedestal. And what we often, people often think when you're on a pedestal, um, it's actually dehumanizing. Mm -hmm. I am no longer a person. I am now a commodity that you get to decide on. And you're also a, you're also a projection screen. Everybody can project whatever the hell they want to project onto you. Right. And that's the same thing. I talk about proximity and church thing. One of the things that, my spatial, my love of space and um, design and all the things that I think God put in me a long time ago. I started doing things innate, like I just knew to do them and I wasn't sure why. One of the things I just knew to do was that I could no longer sit on the stage, the stage. I sit in my church. I put wheels on all our pews. We face each other because I need them to know that I am not the keeper of their faith. Mm -hmm. I am Mm -hmm. a journeyer with them. And while I have had the extreme privilege of spending years studying this stuff, 
I am in many ways just a fellow pilgrim. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if I am forced to sit in front and you are forced to look at me as the divine example, both that's honoring and it's dehumanizing. And I don't want to be dehumanized. I don't want to be worshiped. I don't want, because I lose me and you lose me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, a lot of what we need to figure out is how to help people become human. And that's why I think the church is really helpful is it helps people become human and to see the humanity in other people. And the minute we started having celebrity pastors, they lost their humanity. Um, show me a pastor who is, and, and, and because of my work, I, I don't know why it's the weirdest thing. I end up becoming friends with these super famous Christians and I don't know they're super famous Christians. And so you see what's behind the, the thing. And often it is lonely, isolated. It makes sense to me that Justin Bieber wanted to hang out with him because guess he's been lonely and isolated his entire life. There is no mm-hmm. way for Justin Bieber to take off Justin Bieber. Correct. He uh, is correct. always Justin Bieber. And, and Carl knows exactly what that's like. Correct. And so you know what he tried to do? He tried to make that outer shell more beautiful because maybe then it'll be enough. Right. Um, and if they're already taking photos of me, why not let it be of my entire body? Um, well, and, I, and I think yeah. that's something to be said about why millennials are leaving church, especially yeah. in the environments that like I come from, is because the church that I grew up in, even though it was Baptist, did not look that unlike the services at Christ Church. But over time, there was this desire to become more like this, more like mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram culture, mega church, where you're faceless. You come into a dark room where you're, it's designed that you don't see anyone around you. Yes, All of right. the focus is towards the stage that has crazy lights. And these people are the important people. They're the people who have all the answers. And then you leave without saying hello to anyone, you know, and it's designed to where you can just exist in that same kind of projection, you know? And I think that there's a certain level of that entire machine has led to people, especially like me, people who identify with the same kind of things that I do. It's just like, that is so fake. I'm done with it. I can see better music on YouTube. I don't need to go there to see it. You know what I mean? I can hear somebody preach better on YouTube or on a podcast. I don't need to go there to see it. And that's the thing is that it's not a, it's, I can't tell you how many times we tried to diagnose problems at these churches by like, well, what's going on with the preaching? Well, are the videos cool enough? Is the music cool enough? It's like, no, because nobody's coming here for that. They're coming here for the community of the church and the spiritual development that it's offering them. And neither one of those things necessarily have to do with the 45 minute preaching on Sunday or the 30 minutes of music, you know? But I think you're nailing something that we should acknowledge, which is, but we came for the music and we came for the preaching. I was very attractive. I was very involved in a church that um, had a really good preacher. And, um, and I was a full-time clergy member but I would go to that church because people were my age. This dude could, oh. And, you know, when you come out of seminary, you're like, I have some thoughts on every sermon. His were great. <laughs> like, you know, um, I'm like ready to like make some notes. And then he would, they were good. It was great. 
And then he left that church. You think I ever went back? No. No, because it becomes personality. uh, Personality driven. Yeah. And they didn't connect me to other people in that room. Right. Right. And I think what happens is, and one thing I love to point out to my brothers in my um, men's group is what I call uh, the lead pastors of Costa Mesa group I'm in. Um, I call it my men's group, (laughs) my men's Bible study, uh, is that the church in America is not growing. No. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's just new people come in and new people leave. Um, And I think it's exactly what you're talking about. We come for something that we think we, we think we want answers, right? We, I, why did I love that moment? Why did I love that time? Because I was in my early twenties and nothing made sense. And somebody from the stage was saying, life can make sense if you do these three things. And I rewrite the three things down. And then like midweek, I'd be like, wait, these three things don't make sense again. Maybe if I go again next week, I'll learn the three things. And then I'd show up again and he'd give me three new things. And then I'd be like, okay, I can live with those three things and then, you know, it's Wednesday again and I would forget. And I think that has bred people who don't want to be part of it because they've found church and community elsewhere. So yeah. now the question what you, is. What you attract them with is what you will have to continue to do to keep them. It's dangerous. Yes. Or yeah. it doesn't stick. I mean, it's just not. Mm-hmm. It's not, and it's it. not right. And it's, it's a never ending treadmill to the point where if I'm honest, if I go into certain spaces where the lighting is just so, and I hear that chord, <laughs> I walk out. <laughs> like immediately. Right, right. And I, I had a, instance where um, I have a friend who owns a record label and the record label is the record label for all of all of the churchy people. We went to this concert where these sweet, sweet baby, precious lamb boys were, they're very attractive singers and they're on, I didn't, didn't know who they were. I was there because um, there was a band called All Sons and Daughters and I love their sound. And so I wanted to see them and my friend invited me. So I was sitting in the sound booth with him and this other band and I had gotten a letter on my on the door of my church from someone who decided that Reformation Sunday was the day that him and his family would post um, uh, an edict against me as a female pastor who's single um, on the door. So I already wasn't feeling super like into Christianity. So then I go to this concert. Right, I go to this concert and these boys are like singing about, it could be a girlfriend or it could be Jesus. It was very like, but these girls are like (laughs) praising and like, my friend who is amazing looks at me. He's like, look at this. Isn't this incredible? Like they are praising Jesus. And I'm like, they want to sleep with them. That is, this is this like, this is what people <laughs> think about boy bands. Like I get it. They're beautiful right. Australian men. And then they'd stop and pray. And he was, they were just like, you know, all of this we have because of Jesus. And you're like, I don't. And I all of a sudden had that moment where I looked around the room and I was like, everybody else seems into this. I, I, and I looked at my friend and I'm backstage. I'm, you know, David Crowder is sitting right there. Like I'm at the height of it. Right. And I go, mm-hmm. I have to go. And my friend said, where are you going? I said, I can't. Anywhere. And he said, you, <laughs> and he said, you can't what? And I said, Christian anymore. <laughs> I like walked out the room and our friend Kathy was there and she's like, where are you going? And I was like, 
I can't ever do this again. And I think there is something about, I need authenticity. We all do in such, and at first we think we like that thing and it makes sense, but it only makes sense for so long. And I think, and if it keeps making sense for you, then you haven't questioned it. And not only that, but you like, you you start holding on to it so tightly because the people that are yelling the most have the biggest doubts, right? They're like, no, if I yell it loud enough, I'll believe it. And you're like, oh man. And it mm. just breaks your heart. You know, I think about that. And I think that's why millennials are going, I, I'm actually just going to spend a lot of money on coffee and hang out with the people there. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, So Sarah, yeah. just we've been talking a lot or for a long while, I mean. And we're probably needing to kind of think about wrapping this up, but, um, and we could chat forever. I think it sounds like, yes. um, <laughs> but uh, tell me if you're bullish or bearish on the church. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you know, being your age, I'm at the end of my career. Um, you're, you're still on the front or, or beginning of the middle section. And I'm, what do you think? I don't know what you mean by bullish or bearish. Explain to me positive or positive or negative. Is it is the church going to be thriving? Is it is it going to be in decrepitude twenty years from now? Where is the church? The ah, here's where I I do my um, typical Sarah. Where I go depends on what you mean by church. Um, Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I think church will always be around. I think church, um, I hate to say this, although I don't hate to say this, I think the toxic forms of church are bubbling up and we are seeing the loudest death gurgle you've ever seen. And I think that will go away. I agree with that, by the way. Yeah, I think it has to. I want it to die. Um, It's killing a lot of people on its way out. Um, our LGBTQIA teenagers, for one, our women who are in abusive relationships that they're told to stay in, um, our ability to think beyond just asking what one person is telling us. Um, but I am optimistic that communities that are, they're not going to be huge, but man, they're going to be transformational because we're going, we if anything, know that we need each other. And, you know, maybe that is how I define church right now, because mm-hmm. I love that on Christmas Eve, we did we did two things. We did a recorded version, and then we did a live Zoom Christmas thing. And I loved seeing inside everyone's home and getting to do a messy Christmas Eve service that was not <laughs> produced and was hysterical and like, you know, people's dogs are walking in the background because that's real. And I, I think we both have to recognize the reality of that Instagram and all this stuff has changed how we do culture. How can we help people again, remember how to human so that when they are encounter these things, they don't encounter them as the opposite to be fought against, but how can they transcend and include like father Roar says, how can we, include these things we're experiencing and not make such a hard line between sacred and secular. So I'm right. hopeful. Yeah. yeah. But, but also aware that some of it has to die. There always has to be death for resurrection. Mm-hmm. Indeed. 
Um, final thoughts, any questions, Brandon, Sarah? I've enjoyed the conversation a lot. And um, like I said, I think we could chat for a lot longer and maybe we will. <laughs> maybe I would we love will. It. And, um, and I'll, I'll stay in touch. I want to, I'll love stay it. in touch with you. And um, what else, Brandon, anything else on your mind? I think, I think we're good. I, I've, of course, I, I really enjoy every time we get to talk. You're one of my best friends and were there for me during a really dark period. I'll never forget it. And so anytime we get to talk and share is awesome. I appreciate it too. And I miss you guys. I tell you what, I, um, New York, I could, I could do a New York. Yeah. I could do a New York trip. I see it in your future. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Sarah. More to of come. Of course. Make this year terrific. Okay. I will. <laughs> okay.